Let us go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Once again, our God, we approach thy throne in the blood righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would continue to be with us in this worship. that you would manifest thyself unto it in the preaching of the Word, would encourage us to be faithful and true to the Gospel. We live in a day of many Gospels, we live in a day of many different kinds of worship. We live in a day when various gods are being extolled. And though there be gods many and lords many, to us there is one God and one Lord and one Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and one Holy Spirit that leads and guides thy people into all truth. Not that each and every one of us will all know the equal amount of truth. Some may be more proficient in one area than in another, but still our hope and our trust in all that we have and all that we hope to be is founded in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if it were not for your grace and mercy, there would be no salvation. Again, we would pray for faithful men who stand for the gospel. And we pray that false teachers and false prophets might be identified and weeded out. Give us wisdom and compassion as we endeavor to stand firm for the truth of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We Last Lord's Day afternoon, as you know, we begin uh, chapter 4 of 1 John. 
And we were looking at these first three verses. And we will be looking continually at these three verses, no doubt in both messages today. As I uh, stated last Lord's Day, uh, what these passages or these verses are commanding us is very essential, and yet I am persuaded that many, if not most, congregations fail in this area, mainly for lack of teaching, as well as for a lack of dedication on the part of saints to equip themselves to do as God has taught in these passages. As we said last Lord's Day, notice the first word is beloved. This Injunction is given to you who are in the the pew. And you are to be so equipped that you can identify whether the man in the pulpit is genuine or not. That's the short of it. Beloved, believe not every spirit. Spirit here, we'll just make it as plain as we can in the day in which we live is talking about preachers and teachers in religion. Primarily under the guise of Christianity. Believe not every preacher. I'm going to put it that way. But try the preachers. Whether they are of God. (coughs) Because many false prophets, many false preachers, are gone out into the world. Now that's a statement of a fact. It was in John's day. How much more is it in the day in which we live? Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. In other words, He's telling you how that you know the Spirit of God. How is it that you know whether a man is genuine or not? Every spirit 
that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Now there's a lot in that. Anybody, even a devil, can say Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Anybody can say those words. But it's what is the meaning behind those words. In other words, <laughs> using word, keep using the word word, but in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1, as well as the Gospel of John 1-1, it talks about the Word. Well, what is the Word there? What the meaning is of the Word is Christ. Obviously, it's talking about Christ. You remember in Nehemiah, when they stood up and read out of the book of the law, and it said they gave the sense. This is what we have to do, is to give the sense of the Scriptures, and this is what you have to know. And then, verse 3, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. This is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. So we can say, obviously, any religion that does not confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God is not of God. Any individual that does not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is not of God. They're not God's children. It matters not what religion they practice. It matters not how close they are to you in kinship. If they deny this, they are not of God. Now, we started looking at various scriptures showing about false teachers, and I'm going to look at one of those scriptures again, which is the classic passage in Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13. Now notice, it, in this, it's not what a man does that identifies him so much as a true or false prophet, but what he says.
Before I read that, this past week, I learned of a situation where people heard two different ministers preach. What one preacher preached was outright heresy. Now I'm talking about primitive Baptists. The report is that the pastor of where this heretical preaching was preached made the statement in private he didn't agree with what the preacher said, but publicly he endorsed it. No wonder people are confused. But then, some of the same people that heard that message heard another message that was right the opposite, that was true, and yet the people in the pew said, boy, those were two great sermons. Now that's where most people are today. That's where most people are today. The first message, I don't remember all the details, but the gist of it was everything that Jesus knew that He was to do, He learned it from Mary. And when He was on the cross, He looked down with Mary and smiled on her and said, I've done what you've taught me to do. Now, I could understand that from Roman Catholicism, but not from a primitive Baptist. But anyway, I don't want to digress on all of that too much, but I just want to show that among our own so-called denomination, you can see that people that in the pew, they don't know the difference between a false prophet and a true prophet. Most people don't. They have no concept. And you know why? They don't know the Word of God. First John said, Beloved, try the spirits. Beloved, try the preachers. And the only way you're going to know whether someone is preaching the truth or not is you have to know the Scriptures. You have to know the truth of the Scriptures. Obviously, you have to read the Bible to know the Scriptures. And I would not be afraid to say 98% of professing Christians do not read the Bible on a daily basis. 
I wouldn't be afraid to say that. And most preaching is to entertain the audience instead of educating the audience as to what the sense of the Scriptures mean. Deuteronomy 13. And I said last Lord's Day, I was going to take my time and I was going to hammer this again and again and again because of the importance of it. Uh, I think the people here at this congregation are in pretty good shape, but our sermons go out on the internet. And so uh, if I uh, overwhelm you with something time and time again, uh, I thank you for your patience. Because y'all have been quite patient with me for many years. And I thank you for that. But anyway, if there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder come to pass whereof he spake. All right. Here's somebody that has prophesied and he's prophesied something and it actually happened just like he prophesied it. Or he did some kind of wonder. You remember we talked about uh, last Lord's Day, uh, Revelation 17, where it talked about two beasts there. And the first beast, I mean the second beast, made an image to the first beast and the image was made to speak. You say, well, I, how, could, how could that happen? Well, I don't know what all the devil can do. How did the devil show the Lord Jesus Christ all the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time? And yet the Bible says that's what he did. And I believe it. How did God make hail and fire to be on the crops of Egypt at the same time? I don't know, but I believe it. And I did say this. I'm not saying that this is right. I'm just saying I wonder. Talking about the image being able to speak. I wonder if the so-called artificial intelligence might be involved in that. I don't know. You know, We just don't know. But my point is, it's not what happens. It's what's said. This prophet has given a sign or a wonder and it come to pass. But he said, notice what he said, let us go after other gods which thou hast not known and let us serve them. 
You know, every once in a while, somebody will come out with a new doctrine. Some new teaching. And they say, this is something new. And nobody's seen, nobody knows this. Uh, I, I'm, the fir- I'm, the, I'm the first one that came up with this. I'm thinking about a book that circulates among primitive Baptists like that. So in eschatology, this guy said, the man that wrote it said he, he likened himself to, uh, to Copernicus that uh, comes up with the, the, the proper theory of the revelation of the, of the, of the planetary system. But anyway, a- admitting that he, he, his is new. Well, when somebody comes up with something new, first of all, you need to question it. But I'm not, I'm, I'll try not to chase that rabbit. Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known. And let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. And ye shall serve Him and cleave unto Him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Well, we don't have the authority to do that anymore, but we can sure cast them out of the congregation. We can mark them. Because He hath spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage to thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in, so shalt thou put the evil from the midst of thee. And then we read some other passages in the Old Testament and came down to the New Testament and read one or two. And now I want to pick up where I left off on my outline. Acts chapter 15. We're, we're showing where false spirits are false prophets. Acts chapter 15. If we had the time and we're in another setting, we might take the time to read the whole chapter, but we don't. But I will say this, since the the prevailing view that is published about Acts chapter 15 is that this is the first so-called Uh, conference or uh, invisible uh, universal church uh, council. That's usually what is taught 
from this. But actually, what this is, is the congregation at Antioch in Syria sent delegates to the congregation at Jerusalem because some people professed to be from Jerusalem. And so this was an issue between two congregations that was settled with the whole congregation at Jerusalem together with the delegates from Antioch. In other words, notice this in verse 15. <clears throat> then please the apostles and elders with the whole ecclesia, the whole assembly, the whole congregation. That's Acts 15, 22. In other words, this was not something that a bunch of preachers got together and had a so-called church council. It wasn't settled without the whole congregation. The authorities in the congregation, not in a group of elders or an apostles. The authority is God, actually. And then they wrote letters to give to Paul and Barnabas and Silas and others so that they could tell everybody else, no, we haven't sent these folks out. So it's not having to do with a so-called Council, church council made up of some ministers. If I had time, I would hammer that one out a little bit more, but that should be sufficient when it said it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church. That is, the whole ecclesia, the whole council, I mean, the whole congregation. At Jerusalem. But our topic today is false prophets. And what I'm here to show is that there were false prophets that went from Jerusalem to Antioch. First one, Acts 15 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. There's no salvation unless you're circumcised. That's what these men taught. Alright? And then Paul and Barnabas uh, had a disputation with them. And then uh, the congregation sent Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem about this question. 
And Paul and Barnabas, as they went, they stopped off with other places and talked about their success and their missionary journey, but it doesn't say they mentioned anything about the problem with Jerusalem. In other words, they didn't talk about the issue between Antioch and Jerusalem. They didn't talk about the church trouble on their way and try to get a following. They talked about the spreading of the gospel. All right, drop down to verse 24. No, yeah, verse 24. For as much as we have heard that certain went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. In other words, those men that went from Jerusalem and said they they implied that they were sent by the uh, congregation at Jerusalem. They had the authority of the congregation at Jerusalem. The Jerusalem congregation said, we didn't send them. We didn't send them. They were false prophets. They were false teachers. Look at Acts chapter 20. Paul was trying to get back to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost. And he didn't have time to go to Ephesus. So he stopped at an island called Miletus. And he asked for the elders, the preachers, from Miletus to meet him. I mean, excuse me, from the elders, the preachers from Ephesus to meet him at Miletus. See, in verse 17, he called the elders of the congregation at Ephesus. In verse 28, he tells these elders, he calls them bishops, they were overseers, to feed the church of God. What church was they to feed? 
the congregation at Ephesus. But notice what he says about these elders in verses 29 and 30. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Paul warned the congregation at Ephesus that there would be false teachers coming in among them. He also warned that of the preachers that were already there, that they need to be watched carefully. They needed to be watched carefully. What are we showing? We're showing not only false teachers in the Old Testament, that there not only were false teachers in the New Testament, and there are false teachers today, and that the congregation is to be taught to know a true teacher from a false teacher. Paul's admonition here in Acts 20 was to the preachers. Obviously, if the preachers were faithful, they would teach that to the congregation to fulfill what John wrote in his epistle in chapter 4 where it talked about beloved. That, in other words, the whole of the congregation is to be able to know this. Galatians chapter 1. Now while we're going through this, you need to be asking yourself, Am I qualified to do this? If not, what are you going to do about it? Say, well, I'll I'll let somebody else do it. That's why the congregation is in the shape that it's in today when a group of people can hear two different sermons, one diametrically opposed to the other, and they talk about how good both of them were. This reminds me of Elder Hassel Wallace. Y'all remember him? He was came our way and I had him up here one time. But anyway, 
I spent many, many hours with that godly man of integrity. And one of the things that Brother Wallace strove to accomplish with younger ministers that came up under him and around him was not only integrity, but also everybody being on the same page. And I remember him telling me about a a conversation that he had with one of his members, a very godly man, uh, some of his forefathers were primitive Baptist preachers. That's in Elder Pittman's first book, Biographical Sketch of Primitive Baptists. But anyway, Brother Wallace was pastoring Pine Hill congregation at that time at Ripley. And a preacher came through and preach something that wasn't exactly kosher. And after the preacher left, Brother Wallace got up to the congregation and corrected the situation. But sometime after that, I think it probably as close as maybe within the same week, uh, he and... Brother Grady Norton, Brother Grady had lost his wife, an aged man, and he traveled with Brother Wallace quite a bit when Brother Wallace was going to the hospitals. Uh, Brother Grady did most of the song leading at Pine Hill when I first knew him. Uh, While I'm at it, uh, I remember seeing Brother Grady on his deathbed. I went into the hospital to visit him. As far as I know, he was in a coma. Uh, I don't know that he knew knew whether I was there or not, though I did talk to him and prayed with him. But that godly old man was singing songs of Zion. I never will forget Brother Grady. In fact, the preacher in R.H. Pittman's book on biographical sketch of Primitive Baptist, uh, the preacher in there that was also a, a Norton from Pine Hill from the Ripley area, he looked a whole lot like, or Brother Grady looked a whole lot like him. But anyway, Brother Wallace was asking Brother Grady, he said, what do you think about that? In other words, he said, here this man came through and preached something, and then I get up afterward and and I try to uh, correct the error in that. So what do you think about that? In other words, Brother Wallace was trying to but he, he just wanted to know what the people in the pew thought about it and what this man thought about it. And Brother Grady said, 
Brother Wallace said we have preachers coming through. One preacher will preach one thing. Another preacher will come along and preach something else. And then a different preacher will come along and preach something differently. And said, we in the pew, we just don't know what to believe. And Brother Wallace was talking about that, showing why the people in the pew are so confused. Because everybody's not on the same page. You say, well, how can all of that be corrected? Well, uh, they'll take a, uh, a large uh, lecture about how maybe some of that could be corrected. But I doubt that it'll ever be corrected until the Lord returns. You say, well, let's just throw up our hands and quit. I've been tempted to do that. But we can't. We have to do what we can as we live out our life, our lives upon this earth. But there needs to be God's ministers all on the same page. And the only way you're going to do that is by saying what the Bible says. Instead of saying, well, it really doesn't mean what it says, this is what it means. And if we come to something that says something and we don't understand it, let's not make up something. Just say, I don't know. That's the reason I believe in a grammatical, historical, literal interpretation of the Word of God. Well, that's another subject. Galatians chapter 1. What are we doing? We're showing the difference in false prophets and possibly true prophets and that that there is such a thing. Galatians chapter 1. We've hammered this so many times, but we'll hammer it again. The book of Galatians was the first book I ever tried to preach through back in the 60s. And when I came to verses 6 through 9 and studied through those verses, 
It made such a profound impact in my life that I was determined by God's grace to make sure I was preaching what the Bible said instead of something else. Now, whether I've done that, only God knows. But I know that's been my intention. I've never wanted to create trouble. I've never wanted to divide God's people. I've never wanted to be uh, a rebel rouser or anything of that nature. I just wanted to say what it said and leave it there with God and man. Like I say, God will have to be the judge of that. And you, the people of God, have to be the judge of that. What does it say? Well, it, 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 I know that's what it says, but it means, what does it say? Galatians 1, six, Paul said, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel which is not another. Now, you who have heard me for many years probably can memorize, have already memorized what I'm about to say. But in the original language, the Greek, Texas Receptus, the word another in verse 6 is a different word for another in verse 7. The word another in verse 6 is the Greek word, this probably won't mean much to you, heteros. It's where the word is the first part of the word heterosex. What do we mean by that? Opposite sex. Man and woman. Heteros. Heter means another of a different kind. You see, man and woman are not the same I don't care what modern idiocy says. Modern nonsense says. A man is a man and a woman is a woman and that's it. Period. There's no in between. Jesus Christ was a man. All right. But the word another in verse 7, you can hear the difference, is alos. So you got heteros in verse 6, alos in verse 7, and alos means another of the same kind. Another of the same kind. In other words, you have a German shepherd dog and somebody else may have a German Shepherd dog that's another dog of the same kind. So what Paul is saying here by inspiration 
the Spirit. I marvel that you are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto a gospel that is different from what I'm preaching. Which is not the gospel that I am preaching. See? He's saying, I marvel that you're following a different gospel from what I'm preaching. And then he said, But there are some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now what were these preachers doing? They were preaching justification. They were preaching justification by the imputed righteousness of Christ. They were preaching that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. But they wanted to add circumcision. They wanted a little piece of meat to be taken away from the male body. They perverted the gospel. They were preaching a perverted gospel. Just one slight change, though it was no small matter. Verse 8, But though we, though I, and those that are with me, are an angel from heaven, Preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have received, that, that we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. Let him go to hell. To put it in modern vernacular, Paul wasn't cussing. Let him be cast into the lake of fire. Anybody that's not preaching the true gospel. He said, I don't care whether it's me or an angel that comes down out of heaven. Whatever spirit it is. And then he reiterates it in verse 9. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. Let him be cast into hell. Now, let me give a caveat at this place. We need to be careful in our anathematizing somebody else. This is something that is done 
after a congregation has made an evaluation. It's not that somebody comes along and preaches something. Well, I think it's right. I think he, he's just a false prophet. We don't need to be so quick because the Scriptures teach us that we're not to bring, uh, receive an accusation against an elder except by two or three witnesses. See, it's not just a hearsay matter. It's not just my personal vendetta. Well, I'm right and everybody else is wrong. I have found that if I think someone is not kosher, I try to have the spirit of David against King Saul. I'm not going to put my hand against the Lord's anointed. I'll let God do that. That's on a one-on-one personal matter. Obviously, if a false prophet comes in among a congregation and is causing trouble and the congregation sees that he is a false prophet from uh, the te- plain teaching of Scripture, then the congregation is to exercise uh, ecclesiastical discipline and cast him out. That's different than me saying, well, I think so-and-so is just a heretic, you know, from that standpoint. Now, I've mentioned a couple of situations in this morning's sermon, but I haven't called anybody's names. And what I have used is what they said. Based on what they said, if they are God's call minister, They're in danger. If they're not God's call minister, they're in more danger. <laughs> but some of that you just have to leave with God and go on. In other words, I don't want anyone that's listening to me think that they are uh, that they have the wisdom of Solomon and that they are the final authority. And they say, well, I can, I can spot a false prophet and so-and-so is and so-and-so uh, needs to be this and that. Uh, we need to be careful. Take heed how you stand, lest you also fall. There have been some ministers of late that I've known of that have fallen And the first thing that came to my mind, and I'm thankful that God did that with me and pray that He ever will, without the grace of God, there go I. You know, we, we, we can't be self-righteous in trying to fulfill the Scriptures 
in marking false teachers. It's not their person, it's what they teach. And it has to be a concrete, direct, clear violation of the Word of God. Every one of us preachers can say something occasionally. We say one thing, we mean something else, and we're thinking something else, but what we say sounds like heresy. <laughs> but when we take what they've said over the years and what they've preached over the years, we say, well, I know that's just a slip of the tongue. You know, I've heard preachers say things, and I, man, that's not right. Well, that's not really what he meant, you know, because you know him well enough. And so we have to, we have to make sure that we don't I don't know that this scripture applies, uh, but it comes to mind right now. We don't want to be righteous over much, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, but yet at the same time, we can't ignore these scriptures. Well, we're going to have to stop here. Uh, our time has exhausted for this morning, but we'll pick up with some more passages as we continue this line of, of teaching. Let's pray. Father, we want to be right, knowing that we're not infallible. We want to be valiant for the truth. And we do not want to damage one of your ministers. Give us enough sense to know the difference. Give us strength to stand where we ought to stand. Give us enough wisdom to know when to just shut up and leave things in Your hand. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.